Say hello. Hello. Hi, Paul. Hi, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well. We we just I, I came over to Tom's apartment today to record the episode, and we've been talking for oh, about okay. an hour, just catching up on on our lives. It feels like both of us are maybe you know in in the down cycle of our up and downs. A little bit. Yeah, I think that's right. The, I wanted to actually ask you about one of those sort of down cycle moments we were talking about, which is this. Last night I went to a poker game, which is something I don't do very often, but I have some friends who like to play poker, and I'm kind of an amateur, and they're pretty good, and usually I've been able to hang with them. But last night I showed up and lost all my money in 45 minutes <laughs> and walked home yeah. very sadly with, uh... my, with my head down, which was a bummer. I was surprised by how sad yeah. it made me. And it, while I was on that sad walk home, I this podcast has stuck with me, I guess. I thought, yeah. what would Marcus Aurelius oh. be thinking right now if he, had, if, if he was looking at my life? And I'm curious what you think Marcus would think. That is such a good question. Okay, so, what, so Marcus Aurelius, I mean, there are a lot of parallels, right? You, like, we've said this before before you're essentially marcus aurelius because uh, he's a prick who corrects people on yeah he corrects people's grammar it kind of has everything but he yeah. still uh, you know complains yeah right so do you think he ever had a moment like that one it's a good question i guess i'm trying to let's let's construct a more like like a, a analogous culturally relevant for him yeah yeah well that was kind of my fear the what i thought as i was walking home is he would look at me and say you're being frivolous this right is, who cares well, but he's pretty self-aware. I feel like he, he, like in the first chapter, you know, his gratitude, he talks about, oh, don't get too caught up in moralizing little sermons and yeah. and don't, you know, I, like he said stuff, don't don't let the haters push you down or whatever. So I feel like he would kind of get it. I want okay, so maybe it's it's this. He he's obviously a star student, just like you. He's obviously insanely talented and like at the top of his game. But there was this, you know, let's say he he was like his 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 greek professor had a had a lesson and there was someone else in that class who who like just he you know marcus raised his hand and said an answer that was wrong and then the other student got it right and you know it was the third time in a row and so marcus is walking home in the rain yeah thinking about that right he probably would never walk home i mean he would have like an entourage <laughs> yeah, his chariot gets his chariot is, yeah. okay so what would he think I mean, I guess he would tell himself not to get caught up in the frivolous things. Yeah. yeah. I think I, we got that advice within the first chapter, right? Just like yeah. specifically, don't get too drawn into games and stuff because they're... Yeah, he talks about quail fighting. Not, yeah. There's a like, reason that statement, he's like, don't get too caught up in the quail fighting. There must yeah. be a reason for him yeah. putting that in the book. So maybe he had these moments. Maybe he, he must had have. a moment where he got into the he gladiators or the chariots or the whatever yeah. and then said, no, Marcus, yeah. rid yourself of this. Yeah. So don't, don't assign importance to it yeah yeah i really i mean yeah he talks about not getting yeah, yeah the, like backing the the gladiator wars or the chariot wars and yeah it's sort of funny to think about for me because i i guess i think the reason i had the reaction i did last night was a feeling that this thing i did mm -hmm. playing in a poker game is fully unconnected as i look at it from any notion of duty or obligation mm. it's just like yeah. a silly thing i was doing and then it made me sad yeah i think Maybe sort of naively, I have this feeling with Marcus that everything he ever did was, was connected to yeah. duty and obligation. And then anything that wasn't connected to those things, he just perceived as a total waste of time. 
I feel like Marcus at a poker game right. would just be so aloof. Or like Yeah. Is it do you think this guy is capable of having fun at all? Basically. I think that's part of it. No, I don't I think should. so. Yeah. I think yeah. he would just yeah, I think he would just go in and he would play the game and he would talk to people and then he would go home. I think like I think he would the, the mistake that mere mortals like you and I make is that we get really we have too much fun in yeah. the game. We yeah. get, we attach, attach, we start to attach our self worth to it. We, yeah, because I know, believe me, I know that feeling you're describing. Yeah. Like, even like tennis games where I play the same person and then I lose for three, three oh, yeah. times in a row, Absolutely. I feel, I like feel worse <laughs> about myself. For sure. And so I think Marcus, yeah, you would probably, I think there is the puppy dog element where, you know, Marcus, unconstrained, Marcus at his worst would probably act like you and I. And then Marcus at his best would, would show up. He's still the fucking emperor, so like nobody's really trying to beat him. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's true too. <laughs> maybe he never really lost because people were yeah. making sure he got the right cards or the right quail or whatever. And I have a feeling that everyone at a table with Marcus knows that the goal of the game is not to win. Right. Like this isn't a game about winning and poker certainly, anymore. Certainly not to make Marcus lose in forty five minutes and then have yeah. to go home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So I wonder, Tom. Like, yeah, it, at our sort of complete. At the at the climax of our stoic potential here, that you could enter a room, yeah, w where poker is being played, sit down, and just your presence, just your demeanor, could remind everyone that there's more to life, and that like basically there's some version of like you you are just you know this is just a game, like you just your presence, you're like yeah, you can just you can be having fun and you can do the you know go through the emotions, but like. Just the fact that, you know, imagine, for example, if Obama came and sat down at, at our poker table. Right. All of a sudden, the game is no longer about yes. poker. Yes, that's true. Well, that's very interesting that your example of stoic human being in the modern day is Barack Obama. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good example. Yeah, so Barack my, Obama my, my is... My reaction to that is, I think you're right. Is Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, yeah. that's, wow. That is a uh, hot take, but I think, <laughs> I think I like that. You know what I mean? But there yeah. is this element. I think I think you are, for, you are someone who can... Uh, walk into a room and all of a sudden shift the dynamics of that room uh, in a in a meaningful way in a way that i think makes the evening more fun and interesting yeah it's like when it's like when a yeah i think you know that feeling like what if my wife joins like mm -hmm. a game that we're playing it's like all of a sudden it's not about the game anymore right in theory sometimes i yeah. I, I screw <laughs> up it's not sometimes <laughs> i'm i'm weak and and and, and yes. yeah but yeah but in theory it should no longer make it about winning that game yeah um, i i like that way of thinking about it that is not something that occurred to me right away but yeah that that marcus would look at the game as not being about the game or, or sort of be able to position it in relation to the things that he does care about basically he's above it i mean yeah. he's way too smart for that right yeah i mean i, I guess we're, we're yeah. really prescribing a lot of <laughs> a lot to this guy but yeah but I, I think that's okay we're kind of talking about this guy in his ideal form or whatever i could imagine i mean there were probably games at, at the roman camps where his legionaries were playing and there was like he would see it as part of his duty to sit down and play around yeah. and you know and and partake to some degree and 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 it did not matter if right. he won or like that was not the point. The yeah. point was that here he was, uh -huh. and he was sharing you know a camp a camp broom with his soldiers. Do you think he did that? I mean, we're just totally <laughs> speculating historically. I can kind of imagine it either yeah. way. He does seem like someone who thinks possibly of himself as better than the people yeah. that the you know the the members of the Roman Empire or whatever who would not stoop to do that kind of thing. It's a good question. I think this is like. 
So if you don't mind, I'm going to take that and run with it. So I, I think that that's like level two. Level one is is sort of the, the Marcus that we're describing, which is dutiful and just does his job and goes back to Robot. his tent and, and, and writes in his journal. I think level two is Marcus understands all those things and then still is like, nope, I'm gonna, like part of my job is to motivate the troops and do this thing. And yeah, of course it's not about winning this game of quail fighting, but it, but I'm gonna partake because it actually has these benefits downstream. And, yeah. and maybe even it lightens the mood a little bit for me. Yeah. Maybe even that he starts to recognize that his like part of his job is to maintain his own mood. Yeah. And okay, so the reason I'm I'm sort of saying all this is because obviously it does sound like you're talking about your own life. I am talking about yeah. my own life a little bit. I, I was talking about this this week with my co-founder where I was you know I a lot of up you know the history of the company as you hire more people. You, I have felt less and less like I can be myself at work and I can have fun at work. Yeah. Because. You know, it's not my job. My job is to like other people can have fun because yeah, you know, they're because, not running the show. Yeah, and and I and I can't and and I think that that's level one, Marcus. Yeah. And level two, Marcus is no, like recognize that there are times where I can have fun and be myself, yeah. and then can rely on other people to be the adults in the room, and they're happy to do that job, you know, and and give back to the company in, in that way. I don't have to be the one that always like. I, it's first of all, I think it's a fallacy to think it's it's like a self defeatist fallacy to think that I can't have fun and do this like you know. I really agree with that. Yeah. yeah, I I think that's I think if anything, I would worry more about a CEO who yeah. is clearly exactly. being kind of fake and exactly. not themselves because it creates the sensation that they're hiding something or that they're exactly. yeah, can I trust this person? So I was doing I was worse at my job back when I was trying to be more rigid about it. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I actually res really respect this about my co-founder, who like I think has a better has a better ability to just be himself in the office. Uh, and then of course he was humble and turned it back around and said, "Well, thank you for being the adult in the room a lot of the time." Yeah. But I think I think the reality is like somewhere between between those two, where you know he's found this way to both be himself and do his job. Yeah, I think you are perfectly capable of that too. I'm I don't, trying, I, don't yeah. I don't think that your real fun-loving personality is at all at odds with being a good leader or being able to be the adult in the room. I, I think it is perfectly possible for you to find a place where you both feel like yourself and feel like you're doing your job well. Well, you know, I mean, you you know the very silly kind of personal side of of me. You really yeah. think I could bring that to work? Like the really silly stuff? Well, I mean, I I think cuz you see me on, you know, we we yeah. yeah. Yes, basically, I think is my answer. Mm -hmm. Sort of calibrated appropriately, not to some standard of professionalism, but to the the people who are in the room. I think the answer is yes, basically. So there's mm -hmm. a, there's a way as long as you are sort of mindful of who's who's around and that you're still being considerate and not a jerk to them. Not that I think you would be. Yes, I think is is the answer basically. Mm. And I, I again, I think seeing. A CEO who's capable of being human and, you know, silly and all that is done, done correctly. Really an inspiring good thing for employees and not, I don't think it would be like, oh no, the illusion is shattered and actually we're being run, our company is being run by a silly man. What will we do? Well, it's not even that. The, the concern is more, um, how do I put this? Like, this is there there is a significance to the job of being the CEO where you were like 
if I'm not the CEO, then I would much rather have a CEO who's more serious, who's going to do the job, who's going to like give up their, you know, some, like make more sacrifices and, and like, because there's only one per like that's their job. They, they have certain purview over parts of the business that only they can yeah. fix that, that are really important. And like, so I do think that there's this element of like the part of me that, that, that doesn't want to allow myself to be that way is, you know, if, if I make a joke about like layoffs or pr promotions and like, oh shit, I actually, technically I have the power to do all those things. So, yes. you know, I can't do, I can't make jokes like that, which, yeah. which was a mistake I made early, early on. I remember I like jokingly said that we should all get big promotions yeah. after, you know, after we raised our seed round. And like, I realized one of the people in that group took that extremely seriously and was very upset when the, you know, the promotion wasn't as big as sort of I, my joke made it sound like. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So I do think there are specific areas that you should avoid here right. wise. Sure. Yes. But in general, I think, I don't think there's that tension between you being yourself and you seeming like a person who is willing to make the sacrifices necessary to do a good job as the CEO. And yes, it's not funny for you to joke about layoffs or big promotions that or, or whatever. But yeah. you can still be yourself and not do those things. You feel like you're fully yourself at work? Well, all of us are a little bit more buttoned up and professional, but I'm pretty close to myself. I think you're pretty I think you're able to just be yourself every are you is there anywhere where you're not like kind of yourself? <laughs> well, yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't really know how to answer that. Ooh, maybe is, in some is, certain is relationships. <sighs> it's either in all of my relationships or none of them, I think. It's okay. like I see. I think with everybody, with every relationship you have, you're a slightly different side of yourself. Hmm. Or at least that's true for me. That's something I admire that that Marcus talks about. That he really admires this con this quality in some of his mentors in the first book. This constancy that constancy, they have about yeah. being the same yeah. person with everyone. Yeah. I that's something I aspire to too, and I I'm not sure that it's always hmm. something I'm successful at. Hmm. Um, but it's, I think that's also pretty normal in that we all. You know, for instance, the, between the two of us, we are um, we are more fully fledged versions of ourselves, and then with people whom we don't know as well or in a professional environment, yeah, we draw back a little bit and we don't show our whole selves because that's the sort of normal human reaction, yeah, to, to be a little averse to that kind of risk. You know, as you say that, I'll make the counter argument to what I just said. I'll I'll contradict myself, which is that. There is knowing you in, in, in real life. And sorry to the listener. This is like <laughs> very personal or whatever. Yeah, but that's fine. Yeah, we'll see if we get to Marcus Aurelius. This yeah, episode. who knows? It might not. Yeah, it might yeah. just be Tom. This is Tom and Paul talk about their feelings. And they, uh, every 15 minutes, they mention Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Loosely themed. Yeah. yeah. You, so I remember, so I've known you since, you know, since, since, since we were in middle school. And I remember this feeling towards the end of high school and and like college where i was like wow tom is a really good leader mm. uh, tom can like organize create clarity create this sense of like safety and 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 just like alignment in a group really effectively i remember seeing that in certain groups that you were in where you were clearly like this this you know what's the expression like the you were both yourself and, well, I think there was an element where you were maybe playing the role a little bit and maybe a little bit less like the kind part of your, or like the very like thoughtful and kind part of yourself. But there were part, there were, you were a very effective, like 
I'm thinking of like the camping trip or like certain times where I felt like, oh wow, Tom is driving this and I'm I'm a you know, I'm a passenger. And I, yeah, so I remember that is a little, that is a different part of your personality than what you're bringing to work today. Yeah. Where your role, I mean, you're just, you're not in a position where that's required of you. Uh, yeah. And so I do wonder if, how do you feel about that? I, first of all, do you recognize what I'm yes. saying? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I uh -huh. think that is something I, I value about myself and it is something that I've had more experience with in the past. That is, that is a part, even when I was teaching, for instance, there is an aspect of leadership to teaching that I was pretty good at too. Yeah. I could command a classroom and get us on, get people to do what I wanted them to do and that yeah. kind of thing pretty well. And that's a skill I have that I think- Isn't getting used. It's not getting used right now. And that's okay. You're, I, I mean, all of us are talented and complicated yeah. beings who don't use all their skills in, in every job they have. Yeah. That's all right. I think I anticipate in the future, I will have jobs where that skill gets to shine a little bit more. You enjoy that, right? Yeah, definitely. Because I think you're, I, I've seen you at your most, you seem to be having a lot of fun totally, when yeah. you were doing that. No, yeah, I, I definitely do enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's commendable that you're able to have that bit about it, that like not all jobs require this at all times. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that's nice of you to say. I think, yeah, I mean, maybe it, it, that comes from a sense of self-confidence or something, but yeah. yeah, I have plenty of talents to bring that do make me good at my current job. And I happen to have some leftover ones too. Yeah, that is self-confidence. Yeah. Because I can't. <laughs> really? I've sort of realized about myself that I'm not, I have a hard time being happy when I'm not. Using all your talents. Yeah, or like. Stuff, that's a tall order, buddy. I hope you realize that. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. why I'm stuck in this job. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, but I, well, that's what I'm I've... trying to overcome, basically. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Okay. Oh, it's, okay, so let me turn that on you a little bit. Which of your skills do you feel like you're not getting to use right now? Then that's making you unhappy. Probably maybe lots of them. Are there specific mm -hmm. ones that come to mind? No. So actually, I'm, I'm kind of getting to use all my skills okay. right now. It's not. It's not that. It's. Oh, it's just general. You know, I'm. I always find something to complain about, and it, yeah. you know, it's just like, oh shoot, I'm in this position where I'm using all my skills, but so much. Oh crap! Now so much depends on me, and I'm like, boy, would I like to. <laughs> yeah. So that's a bit of a grass is greener it, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a grass is greener thing. I have nothing to really complain about. But I say. But I do think that um I hope that having scratched this itch, yeah, I will be I will reach absolution and become able to then go to a position where I can put my energy somewhere else other than my job. And and very sort of aggressively say, okay. I don't need to do everything in this role. Like I can do nine to five and I can be like stretch these parts of my personality and just save the other parts. Yeah. I, to me, the fact that you think in these terms already and can see yourself as clearly as you do means you're going to be able to do basically like the fact that you're sort of like your meta cognition or whatever is, is on that level means it's going to be fine. Basically. I want to be a clown in my next year. Yeah. I just want to be the guy yeah. who's, fun yeah. and like witty and knowledgeable but not responsible <laughs> yeah yep that's what that's my goal <laughs> i think and i'll get frustrated of that pretty quick but yeah. still i guess yeah my advice for you or well i don't know if it's advice but my perspective on anybody who says something like i want to be like this other person in yeah. my next job is you're never going to do it because you already are who yeah. you are yeah. and you can try to be some version of that person but what you're going to be is some version of yourself actually trying to be that person. Yeah. And that could be a fun 
version Exercise. of yeah. you. Yeah. But don't get too attached to the specific idea of who you want to be, I think, because you kind of are who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell my little uh, dinner story? I feel like it's relevant to being who you are and, sure. and having fun in a professional context. And Sure. And, which is, I guess, where we're going yeah. off of the segue of Marcus. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, thanks, Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> so last week, there was a clerical error, and I was invited to a dinner I really shouldn't have been invited this, this to. This dinner story, yes. Okay. Yeah. It's technically not. I, well, we don't know that this was a clerical error, but go ahead. It was definitely. You're, you're being modest. So it was a dinner with a bunch of highfalutin tech people, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and, you know, high, you know, fancy people, basically, that that I had no business attending. I, I don't think, no, I, I'm serious. I'm not being humble. Like, I think that they, someone dropped out. I think they had a list. They probably were halfway down the list. And, and there I was. And they probably forgot that our stage of company or something. Anyway, so I was there. And, um... And I had this moment where I was like, okay, well, yeah, I guess what would Marcus do in that situation? Is there any, this seems like a, a situation he genuinely never would have encountered. Yeah, because he would, ne he he would have never would been. have been the most important person in the room, right? Maybe before he, was, he was selected like by Trajan. Seven years old yeah. or something, he maybe could have a moment like that's this. True. Yeah. That's true. But, but I, I, I sort of, I think what Marcus would have done if he had been in that situation, like imagine he, the, the, I don't know, the emperor of China and the, you know, like yeah. people who have more, more expansive empires than the Roman empire were invited to a dinner party in, sure. in, you know, 280. So I think you would just hold your head high and you would just, uh, you know, not be intimidated by anyone and just be yourself and, you know, and not, not be obnoxious. Like you're not trying to be anyone other than yourself. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And I had way more fun than I expected. Wow. Okay. That's great. I cool. just, yeah, I just made, you know, I, I wasn't trying to impress anyone. I ended up just talking for hours with the, with the former CEO of Twitter about just random things. And insane. yeah. And just, and it wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't trying to say anything that I thought I wasn't trying to people please. Right. I wasn't trying to be like, you know, only talk about myself either, but I was, it was just a very kind of it was very freeing because I do have a tendency to, in those situations, to try to people please. Yeah. So I was, it was very freeing to not be that way. What do you think was so liberating about that particular event by comparison to the ones where you do try to people please or, or whatever else? Well, I, that's where it ties back to stoicism. It was that I, I felt like the stakes were really low. I wasn't trying to raise money. I wasn't trying to, you know, like I wasn't worried about anything. And that's because this felt like a clerical error that you were invited at all. Is that is that why you you think you felt that way? I think it, it's it because felt like be serendipity. Yeah, before I started, before I walked in the door, I had already made a pact with myself. Yeah, I said where I was, where I said to myself that like none of these people know who you are. They think just because you're here and you look super young, and you're wearing you know a sweater instead of a buttoned up shirt. Everyone was wearing buttoned up shirts, by nice. the way. Yeah, uh, genius must mean that I'm the the kid genius, yeah. and they need to bow down to me. Right. And so I sort of like, I sort of that was I you know I had that sort of realization that they don't really know who I am anyway, so who cares? And they also don't care, right? Like I think there's a point at which you also don't. Yeah. If you're a CEO of Fortune 500 company, this some kid is invited. You're like, oh, I'm going to talk to this kid. I don't want to talk to my boring, yeah. you know, competitive this, peers. This asshole who got the CEO job. Yeah. At Google, and I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I was just like, okay, I'm like, I'm going to have fun. They're going to have fun, and that's fine. That's great. I mean, that yeah. sounds like the perfect way to respond to that kind of moment. And I guess I would advise you to say, 
I how how can that. you how can yeah. you approach every day at work feeling like that? Well, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm going to try to do. Yeah. Try to do. Okay. yeah. I, which is funny because yeah, that, you're right that like the way Marcus writes his journal, he sure doesn't sound like he's doing that. Yeah, I agree. It, he he seems like he would be boring at a party. <laughs> yes, I agree. And also very conscious of the stakes of everything yes. that he was doing. Yes, that, his duty. In a way and, that would yeah. make him not fun. Whereas I sort of, I like, I was at this table with 20 other, you know, high fluent CEOs, and I would just, I talked like way more than my share. <laughs> I, I had a lot of opinions to share, yeah. you know? I, and I thought my opinions were pretty interesting. <laughs> and everyone sat and listened. I would have loved to have been a fun <laughs> A transcript of this dinner, I think, is something I would really have fun with. Like authentically, I thought my my my. I, I'm not saying that as like a. Yeah. I actually thought I had some interesting things to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels like a scenario where you kind of had a little bit of the voice of Marcus Aurelius in your head, and yeah. it served you very well in this yeah. this particular dinner because it actually sounds like it about as well as it could have possibly gone <clears throat> for you. Yes, yeah. which is great. Yeah, I think yeah. So it's an example maybe of learning a little well i don't know if we learned it from him but a place where we recognize that this philosophy has something to say for itself yeah it's it's almost there is this element where maybe everyone looks at stoicism and just like turns it into whatever they want it to be yeah, yeah. but i think we're definitely guilty of that a little yeah bit. we're definitely yeah we're and we're gonna keep doing that yeah, for the record yeah, that yeah, is that's, yeah, we're not clarifying no yeah no fact, fact checking anything but uh, yeah it was kind of a freeing moment for me and i'm gonna tie it back to stoicism yeah okay cool i yeah. like that yeah. i think that's a, a a good example yeah cool. cool are we done with paul and tom story hour I, we, I think so anything else in your week that you know you walking back from the poker game that is definitely the moment where where marcus appeared in my mind what did you from... do what was the action you took like to to sort of make yourself feel better well one thing i did is i walked home from this game that was like two and a half miles away because walking by myself it's especially good. a long walk like that is pretty nice for right. me so that right. is kind of what i did i could have taken okay. an uber but walked for an hour through san francisco instead wow. which was which was nice that yeah. definitely helps me kind of clear my head yeah. A little bit. Sure. After something like that. Sure. So that... Is that stoic? That's an interesting question. He hasn't... Probably not. <laughs> well... So the, I guess the other thing that I thought about a little bit was like... It's kind of cliche, but the, the sort of like... You have to have nights like this for the nights that mm, that feel good that feel good to be fun that's a basically. great thought that's a great thought <laughs> it's like yeah it's i think it's mm -hmm. right but it is also a little cliche and boring but i was like as i was walking home it's like oh you know there's a way there's a very like mature way to look at the sort of detached way to look at this which is this is delicious this sadness is mm, like yeah perfect because <laughs> it means when things go well i know like yeah it, that what i'm avoiding you know? yeah yeah yeah, it's like that little it's like a level in a video game that's like just the right level of challenge, you yeah, know. Totally. Yeah. And 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 in any good movie, there has to be a point where yeah, exactly. things aren't going well. Not that this is like <laughs> matters at all, but Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no, I like that way of framing it too. Yeah, this is the part of the movie where the world is unfair and I'm getting beaten down. Uh -huh. But it has to happen that way for it to be a good movie. Otherwise, the movie sucks. Right. So, right. Yes. 
I agree. I think there's, yeah, uh, that occurred to me as I walked home mm -hmm. too. And it's a tricky question whether or not that makes you feel better in the moment because it kind of does. Yeah. But also that's sort of a cheat if you can really, if, you, if really that makes you feel better, then you're not feeling the sadness that you're claiming to value. Yeah. And the cheat, the cheat is that if you feel that way when you're sad, you have to also feel that way when you're happy. Yes, which I certainly don't. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't. You well, don't? I think you, I do. I'm constantly, like the, the motto of like the king who had this too shall pass on his ring or whatever, isn't that? I think that's very stoic. I mean, that is like yeah. the definition of it, being able to sort of but you, detach you like, yourself yeah. from moments both good and bad. I think the, there's a very human, human <laughs> normal part of me that when I win, no, that's that, true. That's look, true. I have won at this game too, and I'm fucking pumped, and I'm definitely yeah. not thinking, "Oh, this too shall pass." Really, but you don't actively have that well, sort of voice in your head that's like, "Calm down, Tom." Like, I, no, that's that's true. I I do. It's certainly. I mean, I think if I didn't, I would be like some sort of addict or something, so, right? Yeah. You'd be like, as soon as you've got a taste of it, you'd be like, "Holy shit, this is great!" And that's I'm a genius. I, I could keep doing this forever. Yeah. So no, of course I have a voice in my head that says, "This is a product of variance." And how strong is that voice? Like enough that I only play poker every six months, even when I win. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'd I think it's, it's I think it's a pretty strong voice. So I think strong, you yeah. I think you do practice both sides of that of yeah. the sword there. That side of it, I guess, it maybe lingers more in the subconscious or something for me. Mm -hmm. there, it takes more conscious thinking for me in the sad moment to be like, let's appreciate this moment too. Whereas the appreciation for the the mm -hmm. good moment is easy. Yeah, interesting. And there's a lot of sort of modern psych advice out there that's like. No, no, let yourself feel the thing, yeah. which is the opposite of, which is kind of trying to push back against this stoic philosophy where it says, no, when you're happy, feel happy, go celebrate. Yeah. And when you're sad, feel that sadness, which I do that sometimes. I wonder if you have that experience where I, I have a sad moment and I'm like, I kind of, it's almost like a joke where I tell myself, be maximally yeah, double sad. Double down on the sadness. Double down on how terrible this is and how poor... Yeah. And, and unfortunate you are. <laughs> I think that's, well, I mean, there's a way to take it too far about, mm -hmm. yeah, make yourself miserable. But I agree with that. And I don't think that's at odds with, to me, that's not at odds with the philosophy we're talking about here. Mm. I think part of the thought I was having as I walk home from poker last night, that sad moments like this are re required because mm -hmm. they make the fruit sweeter. Is relishing. Yeah. But it, yeah, it is saying, feel this because feeling this and not pushing it away is what makes the the good stuff feel good. Mm -hmm. uh, so I believe in that, I guess, that that idea of feel the, the happy stuff and the sad stuff. And also just because I kind of think that's like what life is. Like if you're just if a, a philosophy that is truly about keep all emotions at arm's length and just try to keep yourself as stable as possible seems like a total denial of like mm -hmm. life and its both pleasure and challenge, but the whole sort of... yeah up and down arc of it that is kind of i think when people use the word stoic in casual english conversation that is kind of what they mean though is like a, mm -hmm. a keeping of emotion at arm's length mm -hmm. and i think what i've been pleasantly surprised by in our first two readings true is that that seems not to really be at least to my reading consistent with with what we see in this text true i agree yeah
Well, speaking of this text, should we read at least a Why little bit from this text? Let's read a couple okay. paragraphs. Okay, cool. Let's do it. I have the book this time, so. Wow, we are making huge steps forward yep. in the organizational capacity of this podcast. So yes, Paul has the book, so I will have to do less repeating myself after. <laughs> I'm sure the listener loved that. Too. I'm sure they loved the fact that I kept, say that so, word again. Yeah, wait, what was the middle part of that? <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, yeah, there's the barrier of my ability, my listening abilities. Not anymore. Okay, so the place we left off was in the second book, which is entitled On the River Grand Among the Quedi, which so far we have learned absolutely nothing about what any of those words mean. And yep. this is also a bulleted list, and we got through number seven in our last episode, so we are picking up with number eight. Fantastic. You know, and before you get started, one yes. piece of feedback I've received yes. from... Our a dedicated listener, yes. my mother, yeah, is that our commentary is more fun than the text. Oh, really? She <laughs> that does. That was her. That was her opinion. I am her son. Yeah, but that was her opinion. Interesting. And it I propose. Like we... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I propose that we take more stops, enjoy the conversation, and read less. If if we're if we're ha if we have interesting things to say, cool. say them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think we've done a great job of not reading the text so far in this episode, <laughs> and I think we can keep that up. You're welcome, um, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. For, for, for your feedback. She says we're yes. great, by the way. Okay, that's very sweet of yeah. her. Mm -hmm. uh, nice nice to have our, our listener base growing already here. Right. She hasn't liked the podcast yet. I'll try to get her to do that. Okay, yeah, she could be our first subscribe, ideally. Oh. Yes, that would be. Yep. Well, who knows? Maybe we already have other subscribers. We haven't. I haven't checked the I don't think so. Apple podcast, probably yeah. not. Yeah, okay. So we will read these bullet points and really enjoy and savor mm -hmm. them. And if we get caught on tangents, terrific. So be it. Okay, cool. This one's short. Number eight. Ignoring what goes on in other people's souls, no one ever came to grief that way. But if you won't keep track of what your own soul's doing, how can you not be unhappy? That's a weird, the first sentence wow. is weird to me. I don't think I agree with the first sentence, but maybe I don't understand it. That was my reaction as well. Ignoring what goes on in other people's souls. Isn't it fulfilling to think about other people and empathize with them? I guess maybe the emphasis is on the word souls here. Like, mm, I think this is a sort morality. of morality. Like, yeah, exactly. Sure. So I interpret this as sort of similar ah. to a, a Christian sense of like, yeah. don't, yeah, don't. Moralizing little sermons. Yeah, exactly. Don't tell other, don't worry if other people are being immoral or not. That's just, cool. Just worry yeah. about what's the contents of your own soul. Yes. That and makes sense. The second sentence seems like a total truism. Like, how could anyone disagree with the notion that keeping track of what's in their own soul is required for happiness? I, I Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it's phrased in a weird double negative. Yes. I think it's, I would contend that this is phrased in a triple negative. If you won't keep track, how can you not be unhappy? <laughs> right, okay, triple negative. Yeah. The classic triple negative. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get. Um, I guess we don't have much to say on yeah, this. Yeah, my reaction is, uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. Moving on. Yep. All right. Number nine. Don't ever forget these things. The nature of the world. My nature. How I relate to the world. What proportion of it I make up. That you are part of nature, and no one can prevent you from speaking and acting in harmony with it, always. I, I like number bullet point number four. What proportion of it I make up <laughs> yeah, is, sure. is yeah. nicely phrased, I think. <laughs> Although it's, I mean, this, there's some redundancy, I think, in the list. But yeah, sure. I think this is 
also kind of sensible but somewhat obvious feeling advice to me of yeah. remember that you are a small thing in the world. Yeah. You know, this this reads to me like, you know, the one of those um, religious, like or like a chakra or something yeah. where you just yep. you just repeat this to yourself every morning and different parts of it stand out to you depending on what's happening in your life at that time. Yep. You know, so so on a day where you, you know, this whole, this conversation we had about, you know, I'm kind of a silly person and I like to be silly. Like yeah. it's that and not on a day like that, you might, the line to my nature would stand my out nature, to you. Yeah. And then on a day where just things are like the world is, you know, feels like it's falling apart. It's the nature of the world. Yeah. So it, it might just not be, it might be written to be repeated mm. and not to be like ingested just once. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think the way it's introduced as don't ever forget these things kind right. of implies a sort of like return to these ideas. Tom, if you were an editor here of, of, of this text, I don't know, would you change any, any of these lines? Would you add anything? I think number three and four, how I relate to the world and what proportion of it I make up to, I react pretty similarly, I guess, to those two bullet points. So, mm, so an, cut one out. And editors, yeah, yep. pen might go through one of them. Boy, an editor's pen <laughs> would be kind of rough on this text to some to some extent. He repeats himself a lot. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess Yeah, it's, it's a good point, and it's something that we've kind of kept coming back to about what is actually the purpose of this text yeah. to begin with. And I, I think avoiding redundancy is not one of the purposes of this text, basically. And I yeah. think it is something more like almost, you're saying. It's something to revisit yeah. with intentional redundancy because if you revisit it over and over again, you get some of these ideas drilled into your mind, which is maybe what he wants. The line, the one line that's very that's surprising to me is that you are part of nature and no one can prevent you from speaking and acting in harmony with it, comma, always. Yeah, I... Is I, that true? I think lots of people can prevent you from. I mean, you could just disobey the law, and yeah. So that's an interesting question. What do you think he meant by that? No one can prevent you from speaking and acting in harmony with nature. So that you are part of. So by the way, so I think he, whenever he says nature, he means he doesn't mean like trees. He means just how the world works. Yes, I, society. I agree. You can kind of like substitute the word society. I think it's a little more even broad than society, though. It's like what the gods have created, sure, including sure. both society, but also the way humans relate to their, the earth or whatever. Too. Right. So maybe the world. So you are part of the world and no one can prevent you from speaking and acting in harmony with it. Yeah. He has a sort of like this, this notion of acting in accordance with the way of the world and of nature that is, I think, a little vague to us. Mm -hmm. But I think... My reaction to that is something like he thinks that sort of fulfilling your duties or acting as you should is mm -hmm. acting in accordance with nature. And what he's saying is you always have the choice to sort of do right. the right thing or act in accordance with the way of the world, even if somebody is telling you not to. It's okay. kind of like a – this is striking me as a sort of Christian notion too of like mm -hmm. you can let others do wrong to you and – not cheat yourself you can still be in accordance with the ways of the world even okay. if it means suffering or whatever okay I, I see this as like okay the rules of the legion are if anyone turns their back then you have to decimate that part of the legion right kill one in ten and that's the rule that's if if we if i as the emperor did not uphold that rule then i would be going against the nature of my position in this world 
And even though I know the men in that legion and I know their families, I still have to, you know, I have to execute them. That's uh, interesting. I mean, that's a, that's like a very specific, quite like moral question that I think interestingly to me, Marcus leaves a lot of these, like yeah. the details of that kind of moral decision. I wish he was more detailed. Or kind of blank. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't actually say. It's interesting that it's almost assumed by this text that the, the reader has a common sense of morality and how you mm-hmm. make moral decisions. Well, because he's writing and, it to himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. And this, the kind of stuff that ends up in meditations is like a step more general or meta than that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, given that you are operating according to the moral compass that does not need to mm-hmm. be described here, mm-hmm. no, re- remind yourself that no one can prevent you from speaking and acting in harmony with nature. yeah. I think if I was an editor of this text, I would do a lot of like, dash, please give examples. <laughs> Which is yeah. the, f- the feedback Let's... I hate most on my writing when people tell me to give an example. I always get frustrated because I'm like, oh, come on, you know what I mean. Yeah. But yes. people don't, yeah. as it turns out. It's interesting because Marcus certainly writes a lot about the dangers of pontificating and writing too abstractly or theoretically. Yeah, and, and here stuff. he is. Yeah. And here. But yeah, it's an interesting question whether or not we consider this sort of theoretical. I think he sees it as practical, but very general or something advice. Which he's just, maybe... he's got to be thinking of a thing as he's writing this. He's got to be thinking of a very specific set of two yeah. or three things that just happened to him. Yeah. And but we just are, don't know what they are. De- but the reactions he has to them are so general, abstract. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I agree with you. And, and so it really, I think with like one way of reading this is, this is a guy who has, yeah, obviously lots of specific difficult stuff happened to him. And then he goes through this meditation process where he extracts the most abstract juice lesson from yeah. that he can yeah. possibly. He just and, and that goes is, up four levels of yeah. abstraction, yeah. and then that's what we get. And he writes that down, yeah. and yeah. then he says, ah, my word here is done, <laughs> and then moves on to the next thing. And, and we're left to collect the pieces. Yeah, so we get this, like, refraction of a refraction of a refraction of an experience that he had. Yeah. Um, which is kind of cool. Not, not certainly. Yeah, he has, and that's why we can turn it into whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's almost like he's taking the editor's advice that you dislike getting so much, uh-huh. and said, "How can I violate this editorial <laughs> maxim as, as badly as I possibly yeah, yeah. can? What would that text look like?" And I think this is roughly what that text yeah. would look like—a a text with lots of ideas and truly no examples. Yep. Oh, here comes an example. All right, let's see. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, great. An example that we won't know anything about. Break this up so that we can comment. Yeah. Okay. I'll read this one sentence at a time and then we'll just. Sounds uh, good. I'll say sounds good and then you can move on to the next one. (laughs) Great. Number 10. In comparing sins the way people do, Theophrastus says that the ones committed out of desire are worse than the ones committed out of anger, which is a good philosophy. Uh, <laughs> in, compa- I, in comparing your own sins or this, your sins to other people's sins? I, in just comparing sins, I, I would think both. Um, okay. Unfortunately, this wasn't the specific example I was hoping it would be. He <laughs> names a person. Yeah, I agree. But... The guy we don't know anything about. Okay. So, so sins committed out of desire are worse than sins committed out of anger. I, I okay. I can, I want to say I agree with that. I can try to get on board with that. One way of looking at it is that sins committed out of desire often come from a sort of selfish place, and sins committed out sure. of anger might come out of a sort of you have violated the communal norms or like a protection of community kind of. Thing. Yeah, anger is still selfish. I, 
I think the underlying like uh, motivation or like the underlying causes of anger maybe are are more general or like it can be selfish, but it can also come from protecting other people and that kind of thing. Whereas desire is sort of inherently more mm. personal. Mm. That is the most. I agree with you that I'm we're we're or I'm clutching against straws to defend this yeah. opinion because to me it seems. Well, this is, I guess, a distinction I've never made in my own head. That's right. I've never made this distinction. And the more I think about it, actually, the, I'm not sure if I do agree. I can see maybe as a military commander, yeah. it feels better to say, oh, these sins I made out of anger were, you know, were or okay. Lesser. Yeah. 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 But also, I think you can make some serious mistakes if you are if you can't control your anger. anger. Yeah, I agree. And the more I think about it, I think sins commit, like the Venn diagram of these sins is pretty over like that's the right. and anger are not that far away from one another. Yeah. Like I can easily imagine sins committed out of both. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're about to get an example. This guy, I mean, like... and, and Marcus <laughs> says explicitly, this is good philosophy. So yeah, let, I guess let's see what the, okay. how he elaborates here. The angry man seems to turn his back on reason out of a kind of pain and inner convulsion. But the man motivated by desire, who is mastered by pleasure, seems somehow more self-indulgent, less manly in his sins. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically your interpretation is right. That if it's it's more likely to be selfish if it's out of desire. Yeah, I guess that is what he's saying. The whole manliness thing is I, weird. I, yes, I agree. I, I think we've encountered the word manly in this text before, and the way I continue to read it is try to read it as humanly and not malely because i think i do think that is closer to what aurelius would have meant okay I like um, that. Yeah. so yeah he's, he's saying that sins motivated by desire are more beastly than sins motivated out of anger which is maybe true okay although i don't know i can <laughs> I, I don't i'm not really on marcus's side here yet okay i have an interesting interpretation let's go okay. Let's keep reading, and then I'll share it. Okay. Theophrastus is right, and philosophically sound, to say that the sin committed out of pleasure deserves a harsher rebuke than the one committed out of pain. The angry man is more like a victim of wrongdoing, mm-hmm. provoked by pain to anger. The other man rushes into wrongdoing on his own, moved to action by desire. Okay. Marcus has kind of convinced me, and here's how I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So remember that Marcus runs an empire. Uh-huh. And he has all these people that he has to decide how to castigate. Yeah. And he has two types of sins that he's punishing. Yeah. One is someone trying to better their own station and do something, does something out of desire. And one is someone who let anger get the best of them and yeah. made a mistake. The latter is something, is a type of mistake that is easier to control. It is yeah. easier to say... All right, you got angry. Let me reposition you so that you're in a in a position where maybe that anger starts to is less like damaging to the to the empire. Right. Whereas the former is really really hard to control. It's, if someone is motivated by desire, you can't really you just you lose their trust. You lose. Yeah, yeah exactly. They you can't trust them because yeah. you, there's nothing you can really change about their position that will not continue to make them desirous. Yeah. Yep. That stands. I think. I I agree with that. I think it's in accordance with what he's saying at the the end of the paragraph. I also think there's another sort of addition to that which is if he's dealing with people who have committed a sin out of anger and he's adjudicating their case or whatever 
it's likely that that anger was born out of some initial aggression by some other party. And sure. what he's now encountering is a complicated situation where multiple parties have wronged each other, perhaps intentionally, perhaps unintentionally. Right. Whereas a sin committed out of desire from his perspective right. is more likely to have been just a single person who committed a transgression, which will be a clearer case to adjudicate. Totally. Basically. And I can definitely see in, in totally. And in my head, it's like, you know, you have, you, you're like, okay, you know, Colonel Johnny, yeah. You, you know, you, you, you sent your forces into battle in a way that was like clearly foolish and you yeah. lost some men and Colonel Johnny's like, listen, I, you know, they killed my brother yeah. and I, I, I thought we had this opportunity and I was angry yeah. and there's, it's such a, like, it's so easy as a, if you're Marcus, it is so, it is so much more pleasurable to deal with that kind of mistake yeah. than with a mistake that's like, oh, I don't think I'm being leveled correctly. I think I should be the centurion and here i am the second centurion yeah yeah you know i would so much rather give me a hundred of the you know kind of anger sins yeah i would rather deal with those than 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 10 of the yeah. desire sins yeah. the the other thing that strikes me I, I agree with that i think the other thing that strikes me here is that i think marcus is assuming that the anger is like justified kind of like, yeah there's something in this true. like where he says the angry man is more likely a victim or is more like a victim of wrongdoing. Yeah. If people are sort of appropriately angry, then that's true. But there are also people who are just not in control of their anger. That's true. Where they can manipulate Marcus maybe by just being angry when they haven't been the victim of wrongdoing. Sure. So I think he is making an assumption about the sort of genesis or like sure. people's tendency to get angry. And and you can definitely manipulate this perspective, right? You can be yeah. a desirous general who wants to get promoted and just who frame it as your sin as an anger. I they killed my brother, I want to get back to them and I'm not in a position where I can have the leverage I need to win this war for you, Marcus. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's what makes me angry and that's what made me charge into battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this one seems like is, is he's getting he's getting toyed with. Yeah, it. <laughs> he's testing the waters on a part of this philosophy that I think maybe he hasn't fully thought. Yeah, with. this is this is less fundamentally sound philosophically to me. I agree. A, I, I kind of like the. I kind of feel like he's passing the bug on this one. Maybe he knows <laughs> that he's like this one's not so good. But I'm going to give a lot of credit to Theophrastus for this particular idea. Yeah, I, for some reason I'm thinking about it a lot. I'm just going to say Theophrastus sure. really seems to think this is a good idea. Sure. I'm gonna go. We'll, re we'll revisit this later. I just, I just didn't. You know, I have a friend who I should have probably yeah. executed, but I didn't. And I'm gonna. It was really Theos, Theophrastus' the fault. fault. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, let that be known for posterity's sake. Nice. I like it. <laughs> okay. Number eleven. We'll break this one into pieces as well. You could leave life right now. Let that determine what you do and say and think. If the gods exist then to abandon human beings is not frightening. The gods would never subject you to harm. And if they don't exist or don't care what happens to us, what would be the point of living in a world without gods or providence? But they do exist. They do care what happens to us. And everything a person needs to avoid real harm, they have placed within him. If there were anything harmful on the other side of death, they would have made sure that the ability to avoid it was within you. If it doesn't harm your character, how can it harm your life? Nature would not have overlooked such dangers through failing to recognize them, or because it saw them but was powerless to prevent or correct them. Nor would it ever, through inability or incompetence, make such a mistake as to let good and bad things happen indiscriminately to good and bad alike. <laughs> 
But death and life, success and failure, pain and pleasure, wealth and poverty, all these happen to good and bad alike, and they are neither noble nor shameful, and hence neither good nor bad. Okay. okay. So I started off disagreeing. Uh -huh. I started off kind of feeling like... Yeah, I think I had the same arc. Go ahead. Yeah, Marcus, yeah. like, don't, don't. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Stop pretending like there's someone watching out for you. Yeah. Which I personally believe. I think we should just deal with the chaos of life and the universe. Yeah. But then by the end of the very last sentence... I, I agree. I'm also compelled by that last yeah, sentence. Yeah, but death and life, success and failure, pain and pleasure, wealth and pro poverty, all of these things happen to good and bad alike. So that I feel like that's a good conclusion to get to, even though I don't quite agree with the arc with how, how he got there. Yeah. The, the other piece that I think kind of works for me a little bit in the middle there was this argument of like if there's he kind of says if the gods don't exist then who cares like th there would be no point to like living or he says what would be the point of living in a world without gods or providence which is kind of i think fault like ultimately yeah uh, i guess i'm a little bit persuaded by his logic there that he's he is considering a world without gods and then saying, no point. No, yeah. I Well, sorry. I disagree with his conclusion that there is no point to living in a world without gods. But I like the fact that he is inspecting the possibility of mm, no sure. gods. It's reminding me of sure. the, like, no atheists and foxholes kind of logic where, like, there's... If you assign no, like, value to to the possibility of life without gods, then you end up just assuming that there are gods and living in a kind of good way in accordance with the existence of those gods rather than being tortured by, oh no, maybe they exist, maybe they don't exist. Hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Sorry, I think I'm, I'm rambling here a little bit. But the point I think I'm what, saying- What is that no atheists in foxholes? Like what, what, where oh, does that come from? That's some sort of old aphorism, but the point, what, what it's meant by it is basically when people encounter death, they often become, they sort of say, mm. oh, I can either assume that there's no God, in which case, uh, like, I get nothing and there's no, I'm just going to die right now. I see. Or I can start praying to God right now and become a really faithful and then maybe I'll get to live in an afterlife. There's This is called like Pascal's Wager or something like that, uh -huh. too, I think. Sure. So like, there's no cost this. to believing yeah, in God at the very end. Exactly. Yeah. So, but there is benefit because I could yeah, burn in hell. May, maybe it'll work. And if not, who cares? <laughs> Sure. So Marcus is kind of like Marcus that. is doing that. Yeah, 150 years before Blaise, or like 1500 years before Blaise Pascal, or something like that. Right. Which I think is sort of it's logic that makes me like him a little bit more. I sure, guess, sure. That he's yeah. I feel like the gods are inserted kind of randomly into this stanza, but he might as well. It's, yeah, you're right. It's Pascal's wager. He's like, yeah, if they exist, then you know, then they wouldn't have done this, and if they don't, then the yeah. same holds true. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. and I guess what's I'm simultaneously a little bit alienated by this paragraph because it seems to be so much about the gods and they wouldn't do this to us and so forth. Mm -hmm. But then I'm endeared to him because he does have to spend a sentence or two entertaining. Well, maybe they don't exist. Maybe they don't. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I think you're thinking about the possibility where sure. they don't exist somewhat clearly here, yeah. Marcus. And yeah. then you do return to, no, but they, I do think they exist and, and yada, yada, yada. And then he loses me a little bit again, but un until the end of the paragraph. But that, I guess, endeared me a little bit to him too. That he's in his private journals, this emperor of Rome is at least willing to entertain the idea of no gods. Agreed. Tom, 
we I think maybe we to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. put a bookmark here. Yeah. Okay. This was our this was a new chapter for us in our podcast because we mostly talked about ourselves. Yeah, I, <laughs> and we'll yeah yeah I I, I had fun. Me too. Yeah, and I think that's uh that that may be what this podcast is. We're still figuring it out a little bit, and I think that is almost how the meditations are meant to be sure. read a little bit is. Sure in little pieces as they feel appropriate. So I think we can look at that as the format of this podcast moving forward from my perspective, which is we'll read some of the meditations or maybe we'll just talk about what's going on and connect it to what we sort of half remember from reading in the book. Sounds good to me. All right. Bye-bye.